Selma notes. Okay. On this little section. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael, while I look for my notes, tell me how you are. Well, you know, today is the first morning that I am now living in the spare room. It's true. I wouldn't say it is, it's a spare room. It's it's a room. It's just a full room in my it's apartment. It's a full room <laughs> with a bathroom attached to it. So. Yeah, so it's <laughs> not really spare at all. No, it's a full uh, a room of one's own. A room with a view of the street. Yeah, uh, the landlord thing, we argued the price down, so that helped, and I moved in yesterday. I moved all my shit. I'm still discombobulated. I've slept on the floor. I need to get a mattress. Oh, what are you slurping? Coffee, baby. I love coffee. Oh my gosh, we should watch Welcome to Me. What's Welcome to Me? Just, I think it's a movie you'll get a kick out of. It's this movie that's starring Kristen Wiig about a woman with borderline personality disorder who wins the lottery and uses her winnings to create her own Oprah-style talk show about herself and her life wow yeah there's like this part uh joan cusack is the tv producer Mm -hmm. and anytime she asks for something on set she makes joan cusack say baby at the end of doing it so she'll be like do we have water on the set and joan cusack will be like we have water for you baby i love that and then christian wig will be like thank you and then joan cusack will be like it's all working for you baby can i try moving the mic around like this like just like that no 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 no. closer to the head oh i see yeah wow that's really unconventional oh so you've moved in Mm -hmm. moved into the house how is that for you you know i'm excited for the change it's also overwhelming you know a lot has happened in the past three weeks for me Mm -hmm. i lost my job which made me move out of my apartment. I broke up with a lady. Oh yeah, you broke up with a lady. Talk about it. It was my decision. Long time coming. Now I'm more single. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're still not like actually completely single. In fact, I would say you're not single at all. No, no. You in fact are dating like two people right now. Oh yeah, yeah. So what is the truth here? But it it is a very heartbreaking relationship. Right. You feel single, even though you're not objectively at all single. Listeners, I feel single. I know how you feel. You think our listeners are single? Our listeners are hot. No, no, I don't think our listeners are single. I just think our listeners are humans, so I can relate to their feelings. <laughs> As a fellow human, I know how the listeners feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they know how I feel. And right. So, you know, it's been a lot of changes, but... You know what hasn't changed? Our weekly podcast. It's true. It is eternal. It's eternal. It's there. It's a constant. It's like the sun that riseth in the east and setteth in the west. Mm -hmm. We aim for consistency on this pod. Speaking of consistency, Hava, uh, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) How am I? Um, I have a little bit of a headache right now because I drank tequila last night because I was on a Zoom call and I was like, I can't do this without tequila mm-hmm. yeah so i have a headache today that really sucks i'm really afraid it'll turn into a migraine god forbid but on the plus side you know i woke up this morning i meditated i davened uh, i'm feeling very neurotic uh in general as michael knows i'm just a very anxious little baby yeah you're a little duckling i have some duckling qualities about me but i'm excited to make podcasts today and i'm excited for you to be living with me i'm excited about a lot of things in my life i'm just also 
constantly tortured by anxiety. That sounds hard. Yes. Michael thinks I should try an SSRI. It does wonders for me. Yeah. I'm curious about it. I'm SSRI curious. Listeners, call in, please. (laughs) And give me professional medical advice. Yeah, because we really can't afford actual medical advice. And if anyone out there is like a natural, you know, kind of West Coast sort of person and has other suggestions, like maybe you need to be eating spoonfuls of turmeric every day and that'll solve your problem i would love that oh that talmud has pictures in it yeah <clears throat> so michael is noticing that i'm using the noe edition from corin Yerushalayim publishers mm. um which has beautiful full color illustrations this podcast brought to you by corin of jerusalem pub jewish publishers i wish Yes. So I have these beautiful big Koran Talmud Masechtas that have illustrations and notes and they're just beautiful on the English side. On the Hebrew side, they just have the plain duff as it is. Yes. I study in luxury. That is beautiful. We try to give you those soothing that tune in to 98.9 for easy listening talmud i'm your dj jazzy jazzy cat jazzy mike (laughs) jazzy jazzy mike the hits of yesterday and today's Mm. talmud today's hit talmud 97.9 fm well what are we spinning today yeah so today we are going to be talking about a really famous little sugya from taranit 23a. Ta'anit is the Masechet, the section of Talmud that's theoretically about fast days. So like if it doesn't rain enough in the year, one might decree a fast so that the whole community will fast in order to provoke it into raining. Uh, are we talking about fast days like that are cyclically occurring? That, no, no, we're talking about um, emergency fast days. Oh, okay. So Jews believe in emergency fast days. <laughs> yes. You didn't know that? No, I thought Great. we just had our standard issue Yom Kippur. No, we do fasting as a provocation to Hashem. <laughs> what (laughs) yeah well who everyone like all the jews it depends there's all kinds but usually it's like okay if your region if your city hasn't got enough rain and that's part of what this masecha talks about is like what qualifies as enough rain or like if there's a plague or if an army is coming to attack your city so it talks about what circumstances are dire enough to constitute an emergency worthy of a fast day or fast days, and then who can declare one, who is subject to one, yada yada. That is wild. Okay, give, give it to me. I need to know. <laughs> well, the, we're actually not talking about that at all. <laughs> oh, okay. But that, you wound me up. You wound me up. That is the subject of this masechet, but actually we're going to be looking at a famous Talmud quote that has nothing to do with fasting, which just goes to show you that you really can't rely on a masechet of Talmud to be about what it says it's about. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yes, or its title. Or its title. Or its table of contents. Or its table of contents. Because in the case of Talmud, they're all lies. Okay, wow. Anyway, so there's this really cool story about this guy, Choni. So Choni is a sort of a famous Talmudic character. He's sort of like a, I don't know, he's a cross between sort of like a Talmudic Huckleberry Finn and a Talmudic Superman. He's like always getting into situations and yet also some miracles happen as well. So he's like a hapless superhero. 
I'm sure we have superheroes who are like that. Is he lovable? Yeah, I find him to be lovable. But in this story, he sort of runs his mouth and gets told off. Basically, what happens is Honey is strolling along, as he does. And he comes upon a man planting a carob tree. He says, how many years until that carob tree will give you carobs? And the man said, 70 years. And Honey says, don't you know that you will not live 70 more years from now, so you're never going to see the benefit of this tree. And then the man says this famous quote to Choni, Hai gavra alma becharova ashkachte ki heika de shatli li avahate shatli nami livra. The way he starts his statement is by saying, this man, like this guy, came into the world and found it full of carobs. He doesn't refer to himself as me. He refers to himself as this man. And that's not typical grammatical. No, that's not typical at all. It's very weird. Oh, whoa. Okay. So he says, this guy found a world full of carobs, a carob full world. When he came into it, just as my ancestors planted for me, I too am planting for my descendants. So do you think he's kind of being cheeky? Well, yeah, I def- I think he's definitely being cheeky. I think he's sort of telling... Coney, like, you know. Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. And also, you don't know everything. You don't know my life. You don't know my intentions. Maybe I have a whole orchard of carob trees. I can imagine Honey on Twitter. Yes. Honey is being a little bitch. Mm, definitely. It's interesting to think about, like, well, one, just, I don't think of planting a tree as like that big of a chore you know planting a tree is actually a pretty quick little process yeah you just shove it in the ground yeah put some water on it for a while bada bing bada boom boom so i don't know why honey is like oh my gosh why are you going through all this trouble of planting a tree is he like some sort of like decadent fool who like (laughs) never has had dirt under his nails (laughs) i've never had to plant a tree like a peasant. I don't know what's up with Honey's background. Maybe the issue is just he doesn't understand where carobs come from. Maybe this is like where do babies come from kind of situation. Maybe the ground in the promised land is like harder to dig through <laughs> than like New England ground. Yeah. You know, because it's not as moist. So it's like takes like fuck. Ugh. I don't know. <laughs> Like maybe. maybe there's like a whole, like maybe we're, we're not giving him enough credit. And he's like, it actually is a substantial task. This quote, you know, it gets pulled out a lot. There's a Jewish holiday that happens in the late winter called Tubishvat that's all about like trees and fruit and first fruit. It always gets pulled out for that holiday. And it gets pulled out for any sort of Jewish ecological event to be like, oh, like we should act in a way now that will like create a beneficial world for our future descendants. Yeah, it's very um, uh, palatable across ideologies, I feel like. It's kind of, mm-hmm. it's a nice universal message. Right. So I want to know what the secret hidden <laughs> meaning is that like everyone would freak out about. I don't know if there's any cool secret meaning. I mean, part of what's interesting to me is like, a carob is like very agreeable. Like I think we all Oh, we all love carobs. We here. all love carobs, but like planting a carob tree for your descendants is like we can all pretty much agree like that it would be nice to have, but everybody wants to create, you know, the kind of world they wish to see for their descendants and some of those visions are incompatible. The famous 14 words of white supremacists are all about creating a future for white children. Many groups of people share this principle of wanting to create the, quote, right kind of world for their descendants. 
but not all of those worlds are compatible with each other. I get more frustrated on a day-to-day basis with people who are closer ideologically to me, who like are doing things in the world that I feel aren't making the world the one that I want to live in. Not even ideologically close to me, but just culturally close to me. Just Like like what does that look like? Well, you know, I went to college with a lot of people who ended up in professions that I don't think... Like you went to college with people who do software development for like Shell Oil. I have blood on my hands too. Mm-hmm. So, so it's a matter of degree. I went to college with people who, you know, are investment bankers mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. Like I don't really know what their background situation is and what their psychology is that makes them make those decisions. Right. And, you know, life is complicated. But sometimes I think about that, people's career. Mm-hmm. Another thing that comes to mind is like, I know a lot of people in like the effective altruism community. Right. That overlaps with software and, and a lot of like random nerd shit that I do. Right. And so their approach to like creating a better world is having really lucrative careers and then donating 50% of their salary to charity. and Right, which seems really not yeah, counterproductive not to me. Another interesting thing I'm realizing about this Sugya and the way that this anonymous, this guy, is that he takes his cues based on how the world is when he came into it. Basically, he's like, I found the world to be full of carobs and that informs me that my role is to perpetuate a carob full world. So he's not necessarily trying to transform the future in order to create a more beneficial future for his children. He's actually trying to perpetuate carob dominant <laughs> world order. Oh, I see. I see. He's like, I saw the world is this way, and thus my role is to maintain that quality. I could see how this could be uh, read as like a glorification of the everyman. You know, I came into the world and there was like a mundane thing that exists that we all rely on in order to survive, and then I feel compelled to do that work. Right. You can sort of see it at being like, when I was a kid, we didn't give children a trophy for everything. Something that the story brings up for me is questioning like, were the rabbis of the Talmud interested in perpetuating Jewish continuity or were they attempting to transform the world so that it would be different for their descendants? And this is a question I think that's very alive in the Jewish community today. I think some people see the Talmud as fundamentally a document that is interested in preservation. It was trying to preserve, freeze in time, all of Jewish life in the era of the rabbis. And then there's a counter school to that, which is saying, no, actually, the Talmud is like a transformative endeavor. It wasn't trying to just preserve how life was at the time of the rabbis, it was trying to create a blueprint for transforming the structure of Jewish society. No, we're just trying to keep this shit static until the Messiah comes. We're just trying to hold down the fort (laughs) until like we get the good shit. Yeah, right. Something I'm thinking about here is part of the question is Choni is sort of confronting this guy and being like, your actions are not meaningful. If you are not going to benefit from it directly, why do it? Maybe part of the moral of the story the rabbis are trying to get across is just because we can't see the benefit of our actions right now as rabbis doesn't mean that, you know, one day there will be some pair of schmucks laying on a bed in Providence, Rhode Island, discussing the Talmud. The Talmud itself is the carob tree in this metaphor. And when they were assembling that shit, they had no way of knowing if they would ever see the fruit. 
But here we are, fruitiest can be. Yeah, we're the fruitiest fuckers. We are the fruit of the Talmud. Oh my God. I'm a papaya. Oh, well, that's gay. I know. (laughs) (laughs) What fruit would I be? Oh, you're like mm, a pomegranate, obviously. Oh my God. Thank you. I'm so honored to accept. (laughs) There was only one correct choice. I know. I would have, you would have been instantaneously struck down. I know. It's one of those. Yeah. So this was like, you know, light, playful episode. Uh, Yeah. Light, playful episode. And there's actually more to this story that I think we'll get into next week. Next week? Yeah. There's like a whole Jewish Rip Van Winkle saga. Rip Van Winkle Stein. Whoa. Yeah. Oh my God, my Jew journey. Fuck, it's Jew journey time. I know. I don't know what to say. My Jew journey is... Oh, you made your shirt. Oh yeah, I made my shirt. Tell us about your shirt. Michael made a shirt. It's very beautiful. We're going to take a picture of it and put it up as patron-only content to see Michael's sexy designs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very geometric, kind of quilty, but, you know, done in jersey Mm -hmm. and on a t-shirt very colorful it kind of reminds me of like a soccer uniform yeah i agree it's got a world cup vibe right i mean i was trying to go for like a biblical like joseph and the technicolor soccer clothes right kind of look people are always sewing shit together in the bible i feel like like i'm thinking about um like the mishkan the tabernacle like there's all kinds of really specific instructions for like different fabrics that need to be woven together in specific ways Mm. so this is good this is a big step in your quest to specialize in jewish material culture Mm, yeah i would say yeah i'm getting close yeah you're becoming a creator of jewish material i did make a big giant pot of chicken soup this morning that we yeah ate. that was very jewish and we'll eat it for shabbos i mean tonight i'll light shabbos candles i don't know if you're gonna join me but i will mm, sensing <laughs> some passive aggressiveness <laughs> No, I'm fine. I'm happy lighting Shabbos candles on my I'm own. I'm fine. I'm totally fine lighting oh these Shabbos God. candles by myself. I think it's really cute that you made that shirt. Yeah. Do you think it's biblical? Does it strike you as biblical? Yes. Okay, great. But it requires interpretation. Yeah, like someone telling you, this is going to be pretty biblical. <laughs> yeah, it requires an artist statement. You should put a little black on it. Yeah, it says Bible. Bible clothes. I think my next big thing is I'm going to try to do some quilt piecing techniques. And right. Tell me if this is sacrilege. Okay. So my name is Michael, right? Mm, I've heard. And you've heard of the letter Shin. <laughs> I have also heard of the Hebrew letter Shin. You know, stands for Shaddai on many, right. on many a material object. Right. That we're familiar with. I was thinking of taking it, turning it upside down, oh. and putting it on my shirt. And uh-huh. so it's an M. Oh, right. But it's also a Shaddai. Dial M for Michael. So it's kind of like my prince symbol. Yeah, right. Know, where it's like, I am almighty. What if you put it like upside down on one side and then right side up on the back? Oh, interesting. You know, sort of like mirrored. So you could have like the M over your heart, for instance, and then you could have over your right shoulder blade, the shin itself. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's cool. I have ideas sometimes. I'm, you know, in my Jewish journey, I've been putting some more effort into um, into my davening practice. I've been trying to put on my talit 
every morning and to say a little longer version of the prayer service in the morning than I usually do. It's hard. It's hard to just like be consistent with spiritual practice. Why? Why change? Why change? <laughs> we we love you the way you are. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, what's um, the What's the reasoning? Part of me is interested in just giving my ancestors a little bit of a vote in my life, right? So part of me is like, okay, this is closer to what these countless generations of Jews thought I should do. And I'm going to just like experiment with doing it to see if there's anything to it. My spiritual practice is very much about like submission. It's about like transcending my individuality. It's about like letting go of my need to know and to be right and to be in control. So by doing this longer version of prayer practice, which is sort of like arduous for me, it's not really my my instinct. It's not really easy and fun and playful. It's something that I have to work at. That's like an attempt to give myself over to the Jewish flow. I also feel like we do that a lot with homosexuality and gender. Like we take oh. what are the most recent ancestors conception of like roles mm-hmm. were and kind of ad- adopt them for ourselves. Like this idea that you're gay if you're a man who has sex with men. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Sam was telling me, Sam Biagetti, you got to throw out, I'm, I'm crediting you here. He was <laughs> saying that like there was a time, I forget where, maybe Britain, like all these like fags would get together and hang out in a bar and mm-hmm. hang out at a, like a, a greasy spoon and they're all like super, super femme, right? Mm-hmm. They would be sex workers and they would go and they would like fuck sailors, mm-hmm. you know, and like... Right, and there's just like that movie we watched oh yeah yeah it was kind of like that the naked civil servant and it didn't mean in some ways this is kind of regressive for the time to say but like it didn't mean that those men were gay like they oh, were the sailors men. like they fucked feminine people like, mm-hmm. that included women and like these high femme dudes yeah where they drew the line like gay straight didn't exist in the same way right this reminds me of another thing i frequently talk about is that not so long ago like late 70s on into the 80s it was sort of expected that gay men and trans women would frequently be together. They would be a group of people that was attracted to each other. And now it's like, that's like preposterous to say because like a gay man is a man who's attracted to men. It used to be that the line was much more vague, you know, and and it used to be like who you would be expected to be attracted to would be different. And I, I think that our stories about those identities, like the fact that we say a gay man is a man who's attracted to men. I think that colors how people's desire manifests. Yeah. Tying it back to your prayer thing. It's like you're choosing to engage with the little pieces of the past that you're aware of and Mm -hmm. seeing if they feel good. I think that sexuality, like I'm not saying being gay is a choice, but, Mm -hmm. but it's like I would say that how you divide the lines and and how you like become attracted to people in some way is this historical engagement with the past. It's like our desires are socially and historically constructed. Right, right. It's a subtle thing that I I think people generally don't want to talk about because it's not politically very, you know, like the born this way narrative is much more, at least a lot of people think it's more politically. Yeah, it's more mainstream. In some ways, what you're doing with prayer is no different. Our sexual desire tends to be subconscious. Consciously 
historically constructed and yes. I'm trying to consciously allow yes, my yes. spirituality to be historically constructed. The irony is most people would think that's really weird. The idea of changing myself to be in alignment with like the past. But we're all constantly doing that unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all subject to the endless chain of cause and effect, it turns out. Yep, yep. There you have it, people. Plant a carob tree, your sexual desire is socially and historically constructed, mm-hmm. and you can do something about it. You can maybe do something <laughs> about it. And please call us. Historically and socially construct your desire to call the Talmud hotline. Give us a call at 401-484-1619 and leave us a voicemail. Leave us a voicemail with a Talmudic hot take, a queer hot take. Just like say hi, you know. You can also, I think, text Oh, also you can text us at that number. Try. I think they'll go through. Send us a text. So if you're shy and you just want to send us a hey. A hey with like seven whys. Oh, the more whys, the better. Yeah. Well, listeners, it's been lovely making this podcast for you this week. I think you look really cute. I think your hair looks great today. And we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, next week, guys. Shavuot. Bye.